0: It's August first and this is Rabbi Adlishior. Okay, top, okay top. Now would be a good time to turn down the cell phones. I, we're moving into the uh, what I call the seasonal shiurim um, after Tishah B'av, before now Rosh Hashanah, coming up. It's coming. Uh, I. I the, may have to turn it up a little bit more. So. One time. One time. One Let's try. Touch time. Touch time. Touch time time Hatshtayim, time more, okay, good, 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 thank you, thank you. I know it's uh, hard to believe, but uh, Rosh Hashanah is around the corner, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, yeah, it's true, I mean, uh, the famous uh, line from uh, Jackie Mason, who once was asked, uh, you know, how come Rosh you, know, you ever notice Rosh Hashanah never came out on time? One year it's early, one year it's late. <laughs> <laughs> well, this year it's early. It's just, and next year it's going to be late. And that's because Tafshein uh, Ayantet will be a Shanamu Uberet, a leap year with Adarshini. So um, if this year Simchat Torah uh, is skirting on the beginning of October, next year Rosh Hashanah is going to be at the beginning of October. And uh, that's the way it works with the calendar. The year there, it'll be somewhere on time, somewhere in the middle. The, um, the truth is, the season for the Chagim, or seasonal um, Kriyat torah and Torah really brings us back to Chag HaShavuot. Because at Chag HaShavuot, we have a period of three 40-day periods, adding up to 120 from Chag HaShavuot until have Kippur. And this all has to do with the period of the giving of the Torah. So the first 40 days is from Kaga until the 17th of Tammuz. And then Moshe Rabbeinu shatters the Lukot. And that really ends the, uh, the festivities of the first 40 days. And the next 40 days, Moshe Rabbeinu is busy beseeching a Kaddosh Baruch not to destroy the people because uh, God's plan at the, at the moment was to start all over again with Moshe, push the reset button, and start with Moshe and have the rest of the nation go down uh, at that moment. And Moshe Rabbeinu intercedes on behalf of the people um, and a and Kedosh Baruch Hu acquiesces. And at uh, Rosh Chodesh Elul, the third 40-day period uh, gets uh, on the way. And that's the third, the period of 40 days where Moshe Rabbeinu does a rerun. Solach HaShnei Avanim Karishanim Chisel out the second, uh, second uh, set of the Luchot. And for another 40 days, Moshe Rabbeinu is on Har Sinai. And this ends with, culminates with Yom Kippur. And in Yom Kippur, the end of Yom Kippur, that's when Am Yisrael marches from uh, Har Sinai in terms of, not physically yet, but at least the spiritual side of Matan Torah. It comes to, it draws to a conclusion. Uh, In that last, in the 40 day period, there was uh, uh, Shofar, sounds of Shofarot must have uh, been just a, a very scary and frightening experience. The Torah describes that it was a frightening experience for Am Yisrael, both in uh, Parshat Kitisa as well as in Parshat Bet Hanan that we read just uh, last week. It was a frightening experience. Um, and that, the sounds, the sounds of the shofar come to an abrupt end at the end of Yom Kippur, sing- signaling that all, it's an all-clear sign when the shofar comes to an end. And our Rebbe Rav Salvechik always pointed out that the minhag, the custom, to blow the shofar at the end of Yom Kippur, which is not a uh, mitzvah of Yom Kippur at all, the shofar is a mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah. Except that once in fifty years, it is a mitzvah to blow shofar on Yom Kippur. We don't have that mitzvah today. The mitzvah of Yovel, and when we will reinstitute the uh, shmita and the writer on, a on a biblical level, then we're going to get caught up in another dispute as to whether there will be a yovel as well, and that's going to be contingent upon how you view the understanding of Yovel hi l'chol yoshveha. Yovel as the 50th Jubilee year is in place when all of Am Yisrael is in their, in their land. And what does it mean in its land? Um, so everybody agrees we have to have 12 tribes. And, but the only dispute is, Rabbeinu Tam says it can be a mishmash of 12 tribes all over Eretz Yisrael. And Rabbeinu Tam, Rashi's grandson, believes that we together as a community represent all of the 12 tribes. The problem is that in your Tudat Zehut it doesn't say which shevet you are. And even if you're a Levi or a Kohen. so there's a, a presumption that you're a Kohen or a Levi, but it's not ironclad. And with regard to the, any other Shvatim, we really don't have a clue. Though there's a guess that many are from Shevet Yehuda and some from Shevet Binyamin, But uh, nevertheless, uh, there's an opinion that, that there were members of the other Shvatim who did return in Cheney on some level, on some numbers. And we we're actually, everything was integrated and assimilated, so we're a mishmash. And according to Rabbeinu Tam, that's good enough to have the mitzvah of yovel in its place. But the Rambam disagrees, and the Rama believes that you have to have 12 shvatim, 12 tribes, settled in their parceled-out land, the way Eretz Yisrael was divided. Now that's going to be a little bit of a headache, because the Rambam tells us that the Melech HaMashiach will be a prophet, and he will have everybody line up, and he will prophetically tell each person which shevet he or she belonged to. And then you're going to have to pack your bags and move. But the good news is, that you show me and won't have to move because Yerushalayim was never divided amongst the Shvatim, and it's the property of all of Kla Yisrael. And the only question is, where, which, where is exactly are the borders of Yerushalayim for this particular halakha? So, there's even better news, and that is that the Sanhedrin has the authority to expand the boundaries of Yerushalayim from the 2nd Beit Mikdash uh, era until the modern day era, if they so desire. They can expand it to anywhere that Bezek has an O2 number. Uh, include Bet Shemesh and Male uh, Adomim and Gush Etzion and and Yishuvim and the Erez Ben Yamin and Bet El and so on. You know, that can happen too. They have that authority to expand, and the, it's not just a guess, but Yeshayahu even speaks about that, that the tent is going to expand, and which means that Yerushalayim is going to be in an expansive mood, which led the Kabbalists found in the Zohar to suggest that all of Eretz Yisrael becomes Yerushalayim, and the entire world becomes Eretz Yisrael. Now, there are many people in Borough Park and in Munzi who actually hold by that view, and they feel... They can really stick it out, even in the days of Yomot HaMashiach, in Gold is Green, and uh, other wonderful locations in the world. Except that that's a non-halachic idea. And um, as Rav Kuchzatzal said, if there would be no uh, Chutz La'aretz, then there's no Eretz Yisrael either. If there would be no um, um, Eretz Yisrael, there would be no Yerushalayim either. The concept of Kedusha has to do with separating something from something else. There has to be something that remains, not Kadosh. Rav Kook said, if the whole week would be Shabbat, there would be no Shabbat. If the whole world would be Am Yisrael, there would be no Am Yisrael either. So in order to have anything that's Kadosh, there has to be something outside the realm of the boundaries of that Kedushah for the Kedushah to kick in, or else there is no Kedushah. I'll uh, just give you one small halachic example from taking off truma to give to a coin. So, in theory, on a biblical level, even if you give one, one grain, you fulfilled your obligation. But Chachamim basically said, don't be such a cheapskate and, and, and give something. And the something was approximately 2% of your grain or fruits that you give to a coin. Fine, that's truma. What if you want to be very generous? You want to give 10%, you want to give 20% to the Korean, You're allowed to do so. You're allowed to go overboard in terms of that requirement. You want to give 80%, fine, 80%. You want to give 90%, 90%. You want to give 99% of your produce to a Korean, That's fine. But if you want to give 100%, then nothing is truma. There has to be something left that's not truma. Because if you give 100%, you did not do hafrashat truma. You didn't take off. So too with challah. Hafrashat challah. You have to take it off. You can't say, all right, I beg though. You know what? It's all to the kayan There's no challah there. You have to take something off. Something has to remain, not kadosh, in order for something to become kadosh. So there has to be some chutzlah Eretz out there in order for Eretz Yisrael to remain. So of course, some would answer. It's Mars, it's, uh, you know, the moon. you said there's plenty out there that's not Eretz Israel. So I don't know how to handle that uh, Zohar. But with regard to the expansion of the boundaries of Yerushalayim, that yushayahu does address hachi vimekomu And therefore we living in Yerushalayim won't have to worry that much. But uh, other Jews uh, are going to find themselves uh, moving. Uh, to other districts of Eretz Israel based on the division and and, uh, and that's why it's a long shot when we're going to have Yovel according to the Rambam but then when we do have Yovel every single Jew is going to be obligated to blow the sheifer on Yom Kippur once every 50 years Unlike Rosh Hashanah, where you can have a bal tokaya, a person who blows the shofar, and he fulfills one person, a hundred people, a thousand people, he fulfills the, their obligation, because the mitzvah of shofar on Rosh Hashanah is a mitzvah of listening to the shofar. So all you need is one person to blow for anybody else to listen to it. And that's the mitzvah. On Yaival, the mitzvah is to blow the shofar. It's a chova taguf. And just like you can't ask somebody, do me a favor, eat another piece of matzah on my behalf, have me in mind, you know, because I get indigestion from matzah, that's not going to work. There are certain mitzvot that are mitzvahshebigufo. You have to do them. So the mitzvah of blowing scheifer on yoivol is a mitzvahshebigufo. So no one will be able to say, well, I don't know how to blow scheifer. Well, start learning. You know, you've got 49 more years to figure it out. And by then you'll get it right. You have to, you're going to have to blow scheifer on the yom Kippur of yoivol. So most say that the blowing of scheifer, at the end of Yom Kippur is a remembrance, a zecher for that mitzvah blowing Shaifer on Yom Kippur Day. Because we don't blow Shaifer on Yom Kippur Day. We blow it at the end of Yom Kippur. But the Rav said that the main reason for the blowing of the Shaifer is to symbolize the end, the culminating end of Matan It comes to an end with the night of Yom Kippur, after Yom Kippur. The 40 day period that commenced with Rosh Chodesh Elul. So that's the, the, next, the, the last 30 day period. And in all this period we 're we're, we're engaged in very special either torah readings or half torah readings it 's a seasonal thing and, and to this end, you take a look at that first source, which we 've seen in different contexts, the Mishnah in Maser Tanid that talks about the five tragedies that occurred on the seventeenth of Tammuz and the five tragedies that occurred on Tishaba b'av. so on Shi Tammuz, seventeenth of Tammuz you have the shattering of the the Nishtabroa Luchot, Batel HaTamid, the sacrificial activity came to an end, pointed at Talmud Bavli, it means at the end of the second Beit HaMikdash era, Beit HaMikdash was closed for service, three weeks before the destruction, Hufka here, the, the city was crashed through, there was a burning of the Torah that the Gemara doesn't have a clue what the historic background to this is. And a statue of something was put up in the Beit Mikdash. Some claim this is a reference to early Christianity. We're not sure. The Gemara itself does not talk about this. Could be it is an internal censorship here not to talk about it, especially if it's a reference to Christianity. And Tisha B'Av, five things happened as well. This is the the catastrophe at the aftermath of the Maraglim, the spies episode, and that came uh, the the roof cave in on caved in on Tishavah. First and the second Beit were destroyed. Nilkada Beit the city of Beit was uh, captured. The end, culminating the end of the Bar Kokhba revolution. Nechreshahir, <coughs> this has to do with uh, with Hadrian's uh, uh, proclaiming the city of Yerushalayim as Judenrein, using the Nazi phrase, without no Jews in Yerushalayim, and they established the city uh, Ilia, Kap- on the ashes of Yerushalayim all this is on Tisha B'Av and the Mishnah goes on to teach us the laws of the nine days and our Rabbi Rav Salvechik po- asked a simple question with regard to the other fast days of San uh, and Sabbath uh, Eve um, there may have been other things that happened on those dates that not mentioned at all in the Mishnah, the Mishnah doesn't bother telling us events of the other fast days. Now with regard to some Gedaliah, apparently there's only one event that we're all familiar from Tanakh, the assassination of Gedaliah, the governor of Judea at the time after the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. But as Sarabat Hebeit, other things did happen. And the Reb felt that um, Chazal were teaching us something very, very important in this Mishnah, source number one, that It's not just five things happen in this date and five things happen in that date. But these are two markers in the calendar that create a halachic status, what we call Bein HaMetzarim, Between the Borders. Between the Borders is a phrase found in Megillat Echa, Korot Feha HiSiguha Bein HaMetzarim. It's a reference to the enemy, you know, catching us in a pincer attack from both sides, but here, given expression on the calendar, we're caught between the two boundaries, and the boundary being the beginning of the three weeks and the end of the three weeks, and that means the three weeks has some status what the Chazal do not teach us is what do we do or not do in the three weeks, because when the Mishnah picks up and says the nine days Mishnah nichnas av mimatim Simcha. when av begins, the Rosh Chodesh av that's when there's a reduction of simcha Yet Ashkenazi Jews know that uh, from Shavuot there's already a reduction of Simcha. So that has to do with late minhag grafted upon what was early minhag. The, the early minhag was that there was really no particular restriction, uh, not even even with regard to weddings in the days of the Chazal after Shavuot And to this very day, the Yemenite Jewish community they can have weddings between Shivasa Batamus and Rosh Chodesh Av. They, in fact, they do have. The Rabbanut will allow it, because according to the Yemenite tradition, there never was a period of, of Avelut, of mourning, during those days. And in the Rambam, it's not found either. And the Yemenite community follows the Rambam to the T. So, uh, I received a Shailah uh, this year, uh, from one of my own kids. that if, if you are invited to a wedding uh, after Shabbos HaBathamus, but uh, Ashkenazim have a custom not to make weddings after Shiva of Tammuz, but you're getting invited by some neighbor who happens to be a Yemenite and they're making the wedding are you allowed to attend the wedding? this is a legitimate question so uh, it's the same question with regard to the days of the Spirit to all Americans there are different customs when you do have practice morning, when you don't practice morning. so Rav Moshe Feinstein's does have a tshuva on this and says that if the Baal Simcha the one who's making the Simcha has a green light, has a header, a permissibility to to perform that simcha. Then you, as an invited guest, are permitted to participate. So that's good to know, right? I, I, believe me, a lot of people, you know, you know, make funny gestures with their heads and faces when they heard this because it's it's you know, you, you might think otherwise. But uh, he said that it's uh, you 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 conform to the Baal simcha, which, by the way, is just an extension, an extension of something else that many people are just not familiar with, and it's worth uh, drawing people's attention. Uh, if you're an invited guest at somebody's house, and that person on a Friday night or Shabbos morning has a particular custom, so you as a guest are really obliged to follow the custom of the balabayit and not do your own thing. And the thing that comes to my mind is whether you wash before Kiddush or or wash after Kiddush. A lot of people, if, if, uh, if somebody has such a minic, like in the, some of the uh, German Jewish communities did have that minute, and they invite people over, and they'll tell people, alright, do as you wish, because they're being polite. Oh, you want to make Kiddush standing, you want to make Kiddush sitting, you know, do as you like, whatever makes you feel good, you know, because sometimes the host just doesn't want to put people into a compromising moment and uh, an uncomfortable situation, so just... Do whatever you think is okay for you, and, and I'm okay with it. That's very sweet of the of the host. But if you're asking a strict halacha, the guests are supposed to conform to the minag, of the Balabayat. As simple as that. So if the Balabayat sits for Kiddush and you always stand, so what? You sit. And that's what you do. If the Balabayat gets up and washes before Kiddush, you get up and wash before Kiddush. It's as simple as that. You conform to the meaning of the Balabayat. As, as an extension, Rav Moshe Fahyashin said, and if this Balabayat is making the wedding two days after Shabbat Shabbat Hamas, because in the Yemenite tradition there's no problem with it, and he invites you to come to join to be Mesamea Chatan Bekala, you go. And you do it. It's as simple as that. It may not be so simple, but that's the way he understood it. But we have here... So you don't have in the Gemara itself defined prohibitions. If you're looking for defined prohibitions after Shabbos of Atomos in Ashkenazi custom, you're going to have to start looking into the days of the Middle Ages and then late Middle Ages and, and all kinds of uh, modern add-ons and so on. I mean, this is the kind of work that uh, Professor, Rav, Professor Daniel Sheperov has written about extensively. The history of all these various Humrus and Minhagem that, that have crept in. But it's clear from the days of the Gemara, it's not there. You can't stop with the Gmarat, because it's not there. There are, no, there are no, uh, no restrictions. The earliest restriction in the three weeks of not making weddings is already found in the days of the Geonim. But that's 8th, 9th century. That's relatively speaking late. But there is something interesting. And that is the reading of the special Haftarot for the three weeks. That already is found in a Medrash. The Medrash Psikta, which I'll grant is not an early Medrash, but sometimes these midrashim, these later midrashim, later mean also 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth century, may reflect early thinking that there was a custom to replace the standard haftarah for the parshiot Shavua between Shavuot Ha-tamos and Tisha Bav, and have seasonal haftarot. Now the purpose of a, of a haftarah, as we know, was always to remind us of uh, the parsha itself. I mean, the Haftarah was instituted in the period when it was prohibited to study, to read Torah publicly. This happened twice in our history, once before the Hanukkah story. Uh, the Greeks forbade public Torah reading. That's where Haftarot kicked in for the first time because there was never a public uh, prohibition against reading, uh, there was never prohibition against the public reading of the Nevi'im of prophets. So what the Chachamim did was they looked for sections in the Nevi'im that would thematically reflect the Parsha, so that you could remember the Parsha by reading the Haftarot. And then again, it happened in days of the Hadrianic persecutions. And once a minute, even though today we have no issue, you can read the Torah as much as you want, publicly, privately, but once a minute kicked in, it stays, and there's no reason to drop it. So, those are the real... That's the institution of the Haftarah. And of course, for a Yom Tov, the Haftarah would reflect something about the Yom Tov, and so on. But then we have the seasonal haftarot, like Parashat Shkalim and Parashat Zachor, where there's a special mafter that's being read for those, or Shabbat Rosh Chodesh, for that matter, or Shabbat Chanukah. We have all kinds of specials, special haftarot, And Shabbat Rosh Chodesh, we even have a special Haftarah for Shabbat Erev Rosh Chodesh. Machar Chodesh from uh, Sefer Shmuel. So, so... um, you have these things so called seasonal, and the seasonal haftarot do not necessarily match uh, the, the Parshat HaShavuah. Parshat HaShavuah is one thing. The seasonal haftarah is talking about something else. I mean, if you're gifted uh, with homiletic skills, you can put anything together. That's not a problem. The, the Gemara talks about the taher shvatzim in the Torah. I mean, if you're good, you know, you can, you can, you can make something chazitreif into glat kosher. But, you know, homiletically, you can figure out how that works. But... Uh, and just the Pesach Shabbat. They also gave some expression to what's the connection between Nachmu and Parashat Vetranan. I mean, it's a long shot, but uh, you you can you can somehow somehow homiletically put it together. So here, the Reb once said that the Haftarah is really In Diyoma. Inyanah Yoma means the the subject of the day. That's called Inyanah Yoma. If there's nothing particular going on in the calendar. The subject matter of the day is Parshat HaShavuah. That's what you should be talking about, Parshat HaShavuah. So if it happens to be Parshat Lech Lecha, it happens to be Parshat Vayira, so that's the subject of the day. So you read a Haftarah that deals with the subject of the day. But if the subject of the day is something more pressing, because the calendar is is, you know, is looking at you and saying, hey, today is Rosh Chodesh, hey, today is uh, Chanukah, or something like that. So the subject of the day is no longer the standard Parshat HaShavuah, but it becomes that calendar event and the Haftarah reflects that particular calendar. Calendar event. Um, and being that that's the case, where do we see that the subject of the day is supposed to be reflected either in Kriyat Torah or in the Haftarah? So there's a Gemara, it's actually a Mishnah, but then the Gemara uh, amplifies it in the end of Masechet Megillah. The Gemara says, Moshe came Dahem to Yisrael Sheyu Korin bePesach B'Pesach beAtzeret B'Azeret U'B'Chag B'Chag Moshe Rabbeinah made an institution that on Pesach and on Shavuot and on Sukkot, you should read from the Torah about Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Now this is, does not mean you better prepare for Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Preparation is something else. There, the Gemara talks about Sholim v'doshim pesach, kodem pesach, shloshim yom. You need 30 days to prepare for pesach in terms of the halachot. But um, the, the reading of the mitzvah of the day on pesach, on Shavuot, on Sukkot, is part of the fulfillment of the sanctity of the day. The Kedushat Yom of a Yom Tov is not only not to do the various malachot, not only to perform the various mitzvot, but to engage in Talmud Torah of the subject matter of the mitzvah of that Chag. That's exactly what it is. So the Gemara goes further and says, not only is it Torah shebichtav, taking out a sefer Torah and reading it as a kriyat Torah, as we do on Pesach Shavuot Sukkot, but the drashot, the speeches, the the divrei Torah. Uh, the, I would say the Torah Pair, the oral law add-ons and explanations should also be within the the theme of the day and that's what the Gemara says not uh, Korin Korin doesn't mean like reading a newspaper whenever Mishnah it says Kufresh Aleph it means a ritual reading doesn't mean I picked up a Tanakh and I started reading. Hayak Koreba Torah, vi Mikra, imi Giyazman yatzah. 2nd Parak Masech Brachot. It says, if you're reading the Torah and you didn't read Kriyashma in the morning yet, you happen to have gone through Parshat Ved You happen to be reading it. So, uh, did you have in mind for the mitzvah of Kriyashma? If you did, while you're just reading the Torah, then you fulfilled your obligation. But if you didn't have it in mind, then you're going to have to read Kriyashvah independently. Because you have to have special Kavanah, special concentration and intention for the mitzvah. And the Gemara says, what if you're reading it just Lahagia? L'Hagiyah means to correct. If somebody gives me a parasha of, of, of mezuzah, it happens a lot many times. You ask me to read a parasha to see if there's any broken letters and so on. So the first thing you need is glasses. If you don't have glasses, you can't do it. You, know? you have to really see. Um, so so I, I once I really saw this for the first time in my life how somebody really should uh, look at a parsha. Why I was you know, 19 years old, the first time I ever saw this, don't ask me why, but it was the first time. It happened to have been at Hebrew University and um, I, 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 some of my friends uh, on Friday mornings uh, took a course with uh, Rabbi Professor Chaim Zalovechik, the above son, gave a course in Hebrew U um, and Rabbi Lichtenstein gave us permission to do so so we weren't cutting, you know, sheer anything like that. And some guy went over to Rapaheim and asked him if he can look at a parsha because he happens to have particular expertise in reading manuscripts, medieval manuscripts. So of course he knows how to read a parsha too. He's also a, stra- a halachist in his own right. And I saw him read it. He didn't just look at it like you read, you know, the Jerusalem Post. You read with your eyes, but he read it. Shma He said, he said mommy, she spoke out every word." And he said, "And he said, that's our You have to say it. You have to say it. When you say it, you focus, you read, and so on." So if that's all you're doing is correcting a parsha in a mezuzah first thing in the morning, but you didn't have in mind the mitzvah of kriyat shema, you don't fulfill your obligation. So the word kuf resh aleph means ritual reading. It doesn't mean reading. And why is that important? Because there's a Mishnah in Sanhedrin, the last chapter, that talks about it's a great Mishnah, the title. You can't get a better Mishnah than that. Every Jew has a share in the world to come. Just if you like that, close the Mishnah, don't go on. Because the next Mishnah is, <laughs> And now the following list, those who are boxed out. And you'd rather not continue to find yourself, perhaps, God forbid, in that listing of very distinguished people who are put into that category of, So one of them, Rabbi Akiva says, <laughs> What does that mean? So Yomar itself deals with what are the external books? What are the Sifarim Chitzonim? We know that there is a whole literature in Pai Cheney called Sifarim Chitzonim the Chochmat ben Sirah and and other books that were written, is this, this is something, Rabbi Akiva, he believed that if you read this, how could that be? The Gemara itself quotes from the book, Chochmat ben Sira. And we use the book of the Maccabees, for historic purposes, nobody ever said you'll lose the Olam Haba, for reading those books. So what does it mean? So the Rambam interprets, I'm sorry, the Rabbeinu mibar B'artanura, says, it means if you read Aristotle, it means you read, you read Greek philosophy. Obviously the Rambam wouldn't buy into that because he studied Greek philosophy. He knew Aristotle back and forth. So he had a different interpretation and the Rambam says, hey man, if you're reading the books of idolatry, idolatrous practices, that's what he meant, Sfarim Chitzonim, external books, idolatrous practices. And then he has a little bit of a footnote to the Rambam and he says, by the way, if you happen to be a judge, you better start read those books, because if you have to judge somebody for, uh, for idolatry, you have to know what it is. In order to know what it is, you have to read the books. So some people have a head there to reading the books. It's like, you know, the, the priests are the ones who give the ratings on the movies. You know, whether it's X-rated or R-rated and so on. Because they're tzaddikim, the priests and the nuns. You know, they're k'dayshim and, and so on. So they sit on the committee of giving the ratings. So the um, el the, el the, the, the Ramam says that the dayanim the, the of the Beit Din, they, they have to read these books. But that's how he interprets Afakurei. But what does it mean, Afakurei mi farem chitsonim, if it really means those books are by chainy. cheney? The answer is, don't use them for ritual purposes. Rabbi Kiva never said, you're not allowed to open the book and read it on a Friday afternoon or Tuesday morning. Never said that. He said, you're not allowed to use for ritual purposes as a Kriyat Torah neviim k'tuvim other than Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim. For ritual purposes, to bring it into shul, and have an official quote-unquote laning from Megillat Esther, as we have, and Eicha, and Kohelet, and Ruud, and Haftarot, Mishayahu, Yirmiyahu. That's fair game. But to all of a sudden introduce something from the literature of the Bayit Shani, the second paratemple era, don't do that. Because you're suggesting that the Canaan of Tanakh has opened up its doors to beyond 24 books. And that's no good. There's a good reason why it was closed in the days of the Anche uh, Knezotagdola. And, and and that's what means Kara. So that's what means uh, Kore. So getting back, the, um, the, the idea of, uh, of Kriya, to, to lane uh, on Yom Tov, that which is important for the Yom Tov, fine. And that which is a drasha, that's drasha fine. If you take a look at source number three, so you see something interesting. It's a, it is from this very end of. Uh, it's actually from the be, in, towards the beginning of Megillah, um, and it says something about Purim. Amr Reb Levi, Purim shachaluyot Now Purim can come out on Shabbat only here in Yerushalayim on the fifteenth of uh, Adar. Even though we don't read the Megillah on Shabbat, and the reason why we don't read the Megillah on Shabbat is the same reason we don't take a lulav on Shabbat, or don't blow a Shofar on Shabbat, because there was a, a problem, maybe in a place where there's no Erev, that somebody's going to carry it to Shul, uh, because of embarrassment, and be Mechal Shabbos. We'd rather not have one person desecrate Shabbat, so nobody's going to blow Shofar on Shabbat, and nobody's going to take a lulav on Shabbat. And nobody's going to read a Megillah on Shabbat. Nevertheless, Rav Levi says that on that Shabbat, the 15th of Adar, in Yerushalayim, let's say, in a walled city, from the days of Yeshua Benun, the drashot should be in the spirit of the day. In Yonash yom means in the spirit of the day. My area Purim. What's the big chiddush about Purim? I feel a yomtov. Nam, any Yom Tuf, you should be speaking about the spirit of the day. The Tanya, as it says in the Brayta, Moshe Etikayn LaHem Yisrael, she showed them v'dorshim binyanah shayom. He'll hold Pesach, he'll Atzeret, Atzeret is the nickname of Shavuot. Chag, the nickname of Sukkot. Pesach is Pesach. So the Gemara says Purim itzruchalei. I have to add, and I have to special say something special about Purim. Ma'udat you might think. Nikzor Mishum Di de Rabbah de Rabbah but Rabbah was the Amira who said Don't read the Megillah Don't take the Luluf Don't blow the Shefer on Shabbat And because some, there might be Chilul Shabbat You might think That when Rabbah said Don't blow the Shefer on Shabbat He moved the whole Purim back to Friday even in Yerushalayim. Not only do you read the Megillah on Friday, but all the trimmings that go with Purim, the drashot that would be spoken in Shul, should also go back to Friday, so that one shouldn't suggest, well, if the Robb's giving a Drush on Shabbat, maybe we could read the Megillah on Shabbat. So the Gemara says, no, 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 there's no such uh, worry, there's no such concern. <laughs> so the fact is, they'll read the McGill on Friday, but the Rub will give a drashah on Shabbat in the spirit of the day. And, and this caused the, the Rav, the, our Rebbe, the Rav, um, to suggest that if indeed the Gemara goes beyond Moshe Rabbeinu's Takanah of Pesach, Shavuot and Sukkot and now talks about Purim as a as an add-on, then most probably what happened was the uh, spirit of the three weeks and then the spirit of the seven weeks between Tishabav and Rosh Hashanah are are added on to this Takana in a certain way in the same spirit that because we have now a special spirit of three weeks of Avelut and a special spirit of seven weeks of consolation Let that be reflected, at least in the Haftarah. There's no way we're going to push away the regular Kriyata Torah for 10 weeks. That we're not going to do. But at least in the Haftarah, we will have special Haftarah. And indeed, this is what happens. The... um, and just to show that not only are the three weeks to be considered a unit, but the seven weeks from post Tishabav until Rosh Hashanah are also considered a special unit. The Mishnah at the end of Masechet HaTanit, source number four, um, Amr of shimon Gamliel, Lo ayu yamim tovim li Yisrael ke asar be'av uki yom the two great Chagim, Yamim Tovim, Ta'am Yisrael, Tu Ba'av and Yom Kippur. And this is very strange, because we go through our, you know, y- y- cycle, uh, yearly cycle of Chagim, nobody in a million years would have picked Tu Ba'av as being the great Yom Tov. The problem is that we've lost touch with uh, Tu Ba'av. Once upon a time, it was a day of Shiduchim, and um, it was a day to promote uh, uh, much, there was a lot to be said about Tuba'av Ba'av, uh, what's his name, uh, Leo Kitov in Refa uh, has very expansive about various things that happen on Tuba'av. the Gemara itself gives six different reasons why Tuba'av is a Yom Tov and I remember once we had a professor, Professor Feldblum, who said when there are too many answers, you know that none of them are right <laughs> or none of them are, there, certainly not the original we don't know. Sometimes in a Tosfot, Tosvot asks a question. Tosvot gives three answers. None of them are great answers. The que- when you have too many answers in Tosvot, you know the question is still on the page. It's only when there's one answer, that's a knockout answer, then the question has been dealt with. But if there are too many responses, then you see there's a problem with each of the responses and the question is still on the page. And so too, so why is there a Tisha, why is there a Tubah? The Lord says with regard to Yom Kippur, if you take a look at the source number four, the second line. Bishlomi yom kippurim, but regarding yom kippah, there's no question. Mishum de it it's a day of total forgiveness. Yopshin itnu the second set of the luchot were given. So far, well, of course, we understand it's a great day of simcha. Elachamisha sar ba'av maii, what happened? on tu ba'av? And the Gemara goes on to give six different reasons. My gosh, six different reasons, and we really don't have a handle on it. But one thing we do know that if the Mishnah of and Chimen put together two dates, again, just like you have with Shabbat HaMas and Tisha and now he takes two Ba'av and puts it together in Yom Kippur. <coughs> and he, he sandwiches it together as an as a enclosed unit. There's something special about this unit. So much so that it led one of the great Hasidic leaders of the 19th century, Ratzueli Melech Dinov, who was um, the great-grandson of the rabbi Melech from Lijansk. So in Lijansk, we went to Lijansk. but We didn't go to Dinov this year. Once I went to because somebody in the group had a great-grandparent from Dino, you know, a grandparent, and we found the address. <laughs> so, so you can do these things sometimes. So uh, the, the, he was known as the Bnei Yisoscha, not Yisoscha, they called the Sefer Bnei Yisoscha. And Bnei Yisoscha said that although in Shulchan Aruch it says you start wishing each other to have a good year, Ktivav Tima Tova, Shana Tovah, and so on, from Rosh Chodesh Elul, he said, no, 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 it begins from Tuba the Yom Neroim already kicked in last, last Friday. It was Tubaav So that's when it started already. Khamisha Zab'av, that's the opening number. And Yom Kippur is the closing number. And it's all sandwiched into this unit. And in this unit, indeed, we have special Haftarot. And they're all from Yeshayahu. Every single one of them. So we read already on Shabbat Nachamu, which is after Tubaav We read Nachamu. And then there's Vatom Etzion et Zavani Hashem. And then there's Rani Akara LoYalada, and then there's Anochi uh, Anochi. If you take a look at source number five, the Rambam actually tells us the order. Kol so Shabbat shekorim parsha Top, that's that's a general law that if you have two parshiot together, like Matot Mas'ei, if you have uh, you know so you read Aftira of the last parsha. Vizu aminat barova mikomot. Rambam is well aware that some communities had it differently, but that's okay. V'chein nagu He says rov that means that someone didn't do this. <coughs> Not everybody had the minad of reading seven Haftarot special between Tisha B'Av and Rosh Hashanah. But there were other selections in Nevi'im that reflected the Parashat Shavua. What exactly are those Haftarot? They're lost to us. We don't have a record of what they may have been. But if the Ramam uses a phrase Nagu as opposed to a phrase Minhag Pashut. Minag Pashut doesn't mean a simple custom, but in the Ramam's language it means a Minag Pashet, a widespread. English I translated, a widespread. Widespread means it's universally accepted. When the Ramam says minag Pashut, you can assume that everybody does it. But here the Ram says most communities do it, that indicates that there are some that don't. But most communities have the haftarot after Tisha yeshayahu in the words of consolation of Yeshayahu. In the words of and in Shabbat after Tisha B'Av, Nachamuami. The second, but Talmud Tzion Hashem. The Aniyah Soara Lo Nukhama. The Anochi Anochi He Menachemchem. The Kumi Ori. Bashishit sixth, Roni Akara. Right, and the seventh, Sos Asis Hashem. So you have here. Um, it's the seven, the seven aftarot. And what's interesting is that um, the Ramam doesn't give it the nickname as we call it Sheva de Nechamtar, seven of, of chama. but that's already a name that does find itself already in days of Rishonim, as you see it already in source number six, in the Tosfot, in the underline, the third and fourth line, Shalosh de Puranuta, the seven, three Aftarot of affliction before Teshavov and the seven of of Nechama, of Consolation, after Tisha B'av. But then it also says, Tarte de T'yufta. T'yufta means chuva. It's used many times in the Gemara as a response. The word T'Shuvah means two things. It means a response to a question. Mishu Sha'al, Mishu Heishiv. Somebody asks, somebody responds. So the, what the person responded was, Heishiv, tshuva. He gave an answer. Uh, T'Shuvah also is, refers to repentance. The ta'alich, the process of Shuvah. So I remember um, uh, Kadosh Baruch Hu gave me many, many um, great moments uh, here in Eretz Israel and we thank him for every single one of them. But one of the great moments was my 16 years in the Air Force for, for Miluim. And uh, it, it couldn't have been a better place for me, even though I really wanted to be a fighter pilot, but they didn't let me. And I couldn't... <laughs> But it did get close. I was uh, close to you know some of the planes when we were koshering the uh, base for Pesach. So uh, I had to kosher all the uh, at that base for next to Bersheva was so glad kosher for Pesach. I would have eaten there for Pesach, no question about it. We had it done so perfectly. So each unit, each squadron of planes had its own kitchenette. So everything had to be kosher for Pesach. And, uh, and I remember once. Uh, there was a phantom jet on the runway, and we were coming with our staff with these big, big vats of water to be boiled with the equipment to, to, to boil up the, the Brenners, the, the, the fire jet, what do I call them? The, these, um, you know, it's fire, it pours out fire, I don't know, what do I call it in English? In English it's called the Brenner. Well, blowtorch, blowtorch, blowtorch. Right, so so, it, I, I had to crawl from one squadron to the other. And I'm crossing this runway, and this Phantom jet there is ready to take off, and the pilot is fuming at me, fuming, you can see. And I go like this, you know, reggae <laughs> 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 because on that one day that we did Hachshara for Pesach, we override, unless it was a war, government, We had uh, overriding uh, orders. That, uh, that he had a weight and he was burning a lot of. somebody told me I'm a fuel he was burning just because we were schlepping the stuff from one side to the other he was not a happy camper that, that pilot that's too bad the, um, but at least was Kutia, you know he made his squadron Kusha. so so in uh, in in in, uh, in, in that uh, respect um, what did I say this why, why did I get to uh, chuva chuva right thank you <laughs> So, <laughs> Rav Gad Navon, the Quran, was said the chief chaplain of the Israeli army. So we had a um, a member of the Knesset. Uh, or you Remember her, Shulamit Aloni, Allah Shalom. Okay, so she was not a big fan of uh, religious Jewry. And a kaddosh brachu blessed her with a uh, a son and daughter of chosrei b'tshuva. You know, that couldn't be better. Couldn't be a bigger einish. But uh, okay. So so um, she she. Pressured, pressured, pressured—that there are too much uh, tshuva speakers in the army, especially before Shayim Kippur, and that's not right. And it's it's this it's religious coercion. They force the soldiers to sit and listen to this, you know, and so on. So we got a directive from the chief chaplain in the Israeli army, Rav Gad Navon, who says you're not allowed to use the word tshuva. Can you imagine, I'm coming before, I have to give Shurim, before I show him Kippur. The one word is off limits, can't use the word Shuvah. So I started one of the lectures, and one of the bases, and I said, look, the Rav she said I can't use the word Shuvah, and therefore if anybody has a question, he's going to get a Terutz. He's not going to get a tshuva. <laughs> He's going to get a tshuva. Because now let's use the word tshuva. So the word tshuva means response. It also means repentance. So in Aramaic, it's called tshuva. That we're familiar with it, many gemarot, where the says, tshuva de abaya tshuva. No response. You can't answer this. Now the word tshuva means response. But here, the, the, the uh, tosvot is using it in the form of tshuva, repentance. There are not only seven haftarot of, of uh, nechama, of consolation, but two haftarot of tshuva, which is part of consolation, by the way, which then adds up to nine. So what, what exactly are they? Well, there's a, the Shabbat the, the, shuva, um, obviously, and um, those who count Tzom Gedalia, where it's also from Yeshayahu, it's also from Hoshea Hosea, Dafkesh It's not from uh, from uh, It's from Hoshea. But some uh, we read uh, from Mincha, Karov, It's about Shuvah. That's from Yishayahu as well. So that's the other two. Some factor, the, the special of Yom kip in the morning, which is also Yeshayah Solo Solo Panu However, you slice the pie here, uh, there becomes a whole issue as to. How do you divide the special Haftarot when sometimes there is a Shabbat between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, and there's no Shabbat between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, which one becomes the Haftarot for Shabbat Shuvah? Can you imagine on something like this, there's a three-way machloket, A three-way machloket. how to parcel out the Haftarot. And what we do, by the way, is after Yom Kippur, it's behind us, it's finished. And we read Ha'azinu. If there is a Shabbat between Sukkot and and Sukkot, it's Parshat Ha'azinu. And because Ha'azinu is a song, it's a Shirah, Daftarah is Shirah David. That's what we read, Shiva Shira David, the Migdal Yishuot Malkov, Vasechet the David Zohar al and that's the Haftarah. It's a, it's a, it's part of the reflection of the Parshat HaShavuah. But others be, thought that we should actually read the seventh Haftarah of Nechama, Sostasis, because it's a kick-in to Zman Simchateinu. What is Chag It's Zman Simchateinu. it's a type of joy. So maybe then we should read Sostasis. That's Those are one of the issues. The other issue is, what happens, as will be the case in a week and a half's time, when Rosh Chodesh Elul comes out on Shabbat. Now Rosh Chodesh Elul comes out on Shabbat, it interrupts the flow of the seven afterot. So who cares about the flow? Who's talking about the flow? You're talking about special afterot. so you take out the, whatever it should have been, and you put in the special Haftarot for, for Rosh Chodesh, which also happens to be Yeshayahu. It's the last parik, Koam HaShem HaShamaim Kis'i V'A'aretz HaDom B'Chaglay Eze Bayit HaShet Eben Uli V'Eze Mako Menuchati it's wonderful Vayam Idih Chodesh B'Chatsho V'Yav Shabbat B'Shabato Yavo Kol Basal Yishtaravot Wonderful of Torah So there are, so some say Yeah, that's what you do You plug in the Shabbat B'Rosh It's also from Yeshayahu So it fits the season It's just an alternative Yeshayahu, Perik And then there's some say One say, take a look what happens here You have uh, two of the seven are from Gishayahu Perak Nundalit. Rani Akara (coughs) Lo and the Haftarah of Aniyah Sohara. Two of the Haftarah of Nundalit. So you know what? One is read for Re'ei and one is read for Kitetzei. So when Pashat Re'ei happens to be Rosh Chodesh like this year and you're not going to read the one from from Nundalit so then when you get the Pashat Kitetzei read both we both, so we cash in, we make two for the price of one, and we get all seven in anyway, and we get an eighth of bonus, to Yeshayahu Samarvav for uh, Rosh Chodesh. But we're all in the spirit of the, um, the Yeshayahu uh, Haftarot of, prof, of, of Consolation, which begin with Nachamu, which is Perik Mem. From Perik Mem on, it's the whole spirit is Nachamu. Let me just say a side thing, try to remember to get back on track, that... Uh, it is the Eben Ezra, it is the Eben Ezra, who makes the daring comment that the spirit of the Book of Yeshayahu, starting from the fortieth chapter Nahmu is so radically different than the first thirty-nine chapters. He suggests it's a different author, and people say Eben Ezra is the father of modern biblical criticism. And there are many who've said that if Eben Ezra would know what his comment generated, he never would have written it. I mean, he said it as a suggestion that it could be it's a later person, maybe by the same name, maybe not, doesn't make a difference, but he couldn't imagine it was the same person writing the Prakim from Mem till Samachvav, to the end of the book, as wrote the first 39 chapters. And as you know very well, that um, concept of biblical criticism of suggesting multiple authorship in various books, (coughs) and if you're talking about the books of Nevi'im and Ketuvim, Mela, because those are man-made, according to everybody. But they're now taking it back to Bayikra, Bamidba, Dvarim, and Shemot, and Berejah, you know, you're in trouble. You're in real trouble. And this really was the father of the reform movement, of, uh, of biblical criticism. And once that happens, then the authority of Moshar has been radically diminished or evaporated totally. And yet, you, know, you don't have to keep mitzvot anymore, and so on. And uh, you take a look what, what really happened. To, uh, there's a reason why uh, the the generation of Reformed Jews in the United States that came from Germany in the beginning of the 19th century, there's hardly a Jewish great-grandchild that's been that came out of those those forefathers of the Reformed. Hardly a Jewish great-grandchild. If you take a look at the, the the big names like Levi Strauss and Salzburg of the New York Times and Moshe Macy's of the Macy Stores. Nishkin Zecher, not a Zecher of a Jewish progeny, you know, four generations later. <coughs> Unfortunately. I say it with great pain, by the way. So getting back, wherever I was, the, uh, the, the, um, the seven, so, so Toswit actually says something very, very daring. He says, there is a flow of the uh, seven Haftarot. There is a flow. And if there's a Rashkodesh as we have this year, it interrupts the flow. And the proof that there's a flow is because in the book of Yeshayahu, where we use the same chapter twice, but not the same section, Nun 54, we use the second part of Nun earlier than, than the early part later, which means the Parshat A, which if it would not be Rosh we'd be reading the second part of Yeshayahu Nun and then three weeks later, you get the parashat Kitze, we would be reading the first part of Nundalit. That's very strange. Because it seems that everything is according to the order of the way the book is written. Uh, Perak Mem, Perak Mem Bet, and it goes on till Perak Sabach. It's pretty much in order, but all of a sudden you see that Nundalit is out of sync. It's not only out of sync, but it's also in itself out of order. So that leads Tosbo to if look at source number six in the middle of the line. Um, let's just take it from two lines before. It says, "Vayelohin." Here are the seven after all, Nachamu, Nachamu, Batomerzion, Aniyasoara, um, Anochi, Anochi, Roni Akara, Kumi Ori. Roni, it says, "It says Aniasoara, livada only, only." Notice that leave out the first part of Nundalit. Um, Anok Enochi, Kara, that's now the complementary, the the early part of Nundalit, Kumyori Sosasis. And then this Dirshu Hashem Bimatzot, that's, uh, that's for uh, Gedalia, and Shuvah Yisrael is for uh, Shabbat Shuvah. Why do we read the later part of Nundalid uh, on, uh, on two weeks before the earlier part of Nundalid, Roni Akara, two weeks later? Those are baffled by that order. And here comes an unbelievable, ambiguous line. The way of consolation is to get better and better and better. They become more refined. They become more crystallized. What does that mean? What does that mean? So number one, Tosot is teaching us that not only is each particular haftira a particular story of consolation, but you have to see the whole picture of the seven Haftarot in a particular order that tells a story of consolation. And if it's going to be uh, out of order, out of sync, you're going to miss the point of the big story. So if you pull out the Parashat A uh, section of the Haftarah and you put in Rosh Chodesh, you've messed up. You now have something, you've got a hefsik there. And, and if you read the uh, the Nun properly in order, the first part, then the next week, the second part, the story would also not be correct. Says, there's a story being told here, but what Toso doesn't tell us, what's the story? What's the story? Toso's simply suggesting that by having it in such a way and giving expression to those poskim who believe that even if there's a Rosh Chodesh, ignore the fact that it's Rosh Chodesh, and keep the seven of torah intact in their order, because they're telling you a story. Let me just read a line from Shulchan Aruch, and it's actually from the laws of Rosh Chodesh, it's in Orchayim's Taf Kaf Hei, Rosh Chodesh Chaliyot what's the halachot of Rosh Chodesh that comes out on Shabbat? And among other things, um, Rabbi Yosef Kaur writes that you have the mafter. Uh, this haftarah from Yeshayau Samachvah, Vashemayim Kasi, fine. And then he says, Chutz, except for Rosh Chodesh Elul Shabbat, Shemaftirin Aniyas When Rosh Chodesh Elul comes out on Shabbat, you ignore the special haftarah for Rosh Chodesh, and you maintain the special haftarah of the seven weeks of consolation. Rabbi Ramo, Rabbi Sheshislisk argues and says, And others say, "Hashemayim kisi." You read the special Aftara for Rosh Chodesh. V'chein nohagim bimdinot elu. That's how we are custom customary. That's what we do. We meaning Ashkenazah. That's what we do. Interesting that the uh, the the Mishnah Brura. That's the Chavetz Chaim. He writes, "Yeah, v'chein nohagim." That's the minag. The Katfu Achonim, some of the late Poskim said, the Ava nevertheless, ain achat mi sheva nechama. You should not leave out in a particular year any of the seven. And therefore, when you have the Haftarah two weeks later for Pashat Kitetse, you should continue with achareha. You should continue and make it into a double Haftarah. That's really our minute. you open up the, uh, the calendar of Rav Kaczynski, that's what you're going to see. That, that uh, in a week and a half on Pashatra A, Rosh Chodesh Elul, we're going to be reading the special Aftarah for Rosh Chodesh. And two weeks afterwards, it's going to be a double Aftira. It's going to be an Aftarah for Kitaytse, and then the Aftarah for Pashatra A, because of this comment that uh, we should not lose out on all the seven, even though we threw in the extra. But what the Rob was concerned about, what exactly is the story that Toswot teaches us? That the derech. I'll read it again, the derech hanichamot liot yoter. The way, the way of consolation. And the Rav said if we examine each of this in progression, the story is as follows. Kadosh calls out to Am Yisrael, Nahamu, Nachamu Ami. Of course, it's Yeshayahu speaking, but he's speaking the name of Hashem. Am Yisrael is being told that the consolation has arrived. And then the uh, Am Yisrael responds. The second after us says, is responds, God left us. God left us. He's not talking to us any longer. God left us. So the Navi goes back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he says, and now the third Haftarah, which is the second part of Yeshayah Nundaled, Aniyah Soara, Lo Nuchama. They did not accept the message. Message number one was from God, first Haftarah, there's consolation on its way. Message two was Am Yisrael, back to the Navi, no takers. We don't believe it. We don't believe it. But Azavani Hashem, God left us. Message three is the Navi to God. They didn't accept the consolation. What are we going to do? So Akadosh Bechu sends Yeshayahu back to Am Yisrael in the fourth haftira, and he says, Anochi, Anochi, Okay. The message is not going to come from an intermediary. It could be that Am Yisrael is not interested in listening because they're hearing it from you, Yeshayahu. Go back and tell the people, you, Yeshayahu, are not a factor at all. I, God, will handle this unilaterally. Anochi, Anochi, himenachemchem. But not only that, fortify this now with another message. And the next message is going to be, Kumi Ori, requesting Am Yisrael the light is going to shine. And this is the aura of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the third will be, Rani Akara LoYalada, but what's very, very important in that haftarah is where there's an, a, an association to the, the oath that God delivered in the name of Noah. It says there, Katona I left you, but I left you only momentarily. That word rega is the first word that every Ole Hadash learns in Ulpan. Because you need it. You need it when the bus is pulling out of the station as you're banging on the door and you're going, Rega! Rega and the driver is always deaf. Right. <laughs> he didn't say it loud enough and he pulls out. Rega. But you know, to Akadosh Bahu, what is rega? Rega is just a moment. It could, it could be two thousand years, but for us, it's just, for God, it's a moment. I left you momentarily. <inaudible> and just like I told, you no, know, the after the I told the, the Noach uh, generation. <inaudible> and, and so on. The 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 uh, the, the that was offered to Noach was that even though I did what I did, I'll never do it again. Why won't I do it again? Because there's a savings grace in Noah and his family. And there's always going to be a savings grace in Am Yisrael. It's the same thing. There will never be a total rupture. And I keep saying, Nun Nundalad, Nun daled, Nun daled. The pastor, uh, three weeks ago we had uh, lunch food, and we heard a lecture from the Professor David Berger, a great historian from Yeshiva University, and he's an uh, expert in Christian-Jewish polemics. He spoke about Yeshua Nun Gimel. Shia Gimel is the paroch of the suffering servant that the Christians made a big to-do about, and they saw Christianity in it. You know, the basic doctrine of Christianity <laughs> is that the, the, the Brit, the covenants in God and Amiswal came to an end with the destruction of the first Beit Mikdash. And the problem is, why did they make such a big deal of Nun Gimel? They should read the next chapter. Because in the next chapter, Kadosh B'Ruh says there'll never be a permanent rupture. Never. It'll come back. And that's what a Baruch Hu promises Am Yisrael. And finally, finally, if the three tries, Am Yisrael responds, Sos Tasis Pashem, that Am Yisroel is willing to be sameach. Sameach means recognize that a Baruch Hu has returned. Acceptance of the, of the consolation. And this is all the story of the seven Haftarot, where the Navi brings the message, Am Yisrael rejects the message, the Nabi brings the message to God, there are no takers here. And God says, you know what, I'm going to have to do it on my own. And it's one, two, three, Haftarot, with that message pounding down that I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And finally, finally, comes the resolution, Sostasis Lashem, Am Yisrael is willing to accept the consolation. The Ruf said, this has halachic import, even on a private level. People come to a shiva house, they say words of consolation. Sometimes the words are empty. And you can tell that the person sitting shiva is not really accepting the words. Many times, people say the wrong things. By the way, you have to be very, very careful. If you're not sure what to say, it's better not to say anything. That's for sure. But uh, not to say things that will, you know, to, not to philosophize and try to understand why Kadosh Baruch did this or that. That's really not our business at all. the The upshot is that. A, to be consoled means to accept consolation. Until the, the, the Avel accepts the Nechama, person really didn't feel the obligation of be Menachem Avel. And the world felt that this is really what's happening here. Kadosh Baruch Hu realized that in order to console Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael actually has to accept the consolation. If they don't accept the consolation, Kadosh Baruch is going to go on for a fourth and a fifth and a sixth try. But after the third try, it, it, was, it was enough. And that leads us into Rosh Hashanah. And that's why we go into Rosh Hashanah, even though it's Yamim No Ra'im, but there's also a spirit of Simchat Yom There is a makhloket, the dispute in the Mishnah and Masechet Moit Katan, whether or not Rosh Hashanah Yom defers Avelut, just like Pesach Shavuot Tzokov. person sits Shiva before Rosh Hashanah, as I did almost four years ago. So comes Rosh Hashanah, you get up from Shiva, because it's Yom But there were some who believed that it's like Shabbat, you don't sit Shiva on Shabbat, but Sunday you continue to Shiva. It's some believe that's the same thing for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. But that's not the Halakha. The Halakha is that Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is like rigalim; it's like Yom Tov. Which means that with the onset of Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, the Avelut actually comes to an end, an abrupt end. And that is because Simchat Yom Tov and Evel don't go together. It's either one or the other. And when Am Yisrael has accepted, so, so we're entering into your mimna ra'im. So the Ramam says, it has simcha, not enough simcha to say halel, so i Rosh Hashanah Kippur we don't say halel, but enough simcha to defer aveilut. Because what really simcha is all about, it's not smiling and jumping and dancing and singing and everything. Simcha halachically interpreted means an awareness that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in front of you and you're accepting that. And that's really what we're looking towards on Yom Kippur. Hashem titaru. That's what it's all about. And that all begins after Tisha B'av. The Rav actually suggested it actually began at noon time on Tisha B'av. Because at noon time on Tisha B'av, something happens. The atmosphere of Tisha B'av has switched very, very dramatically not only in a physical sense, where now we pick up our chairs and put the parochet back in the Ron Kodesh, the spirit of the Tevilat Mincha of, of Tisha B'Av with Talos and Tefillin is very, very different than the morning. It has all the trimmings of a real public fast day of, of P'solecha Shnei Luchot Avanim Karishonim, Moshe Rabbeinu was told to chisel out the new set of Luchot. It's all about Tshuva, it's all about shloshes Yisrei Midot, Hashem Hashem V'chanun, that we read by Mincha and Tisha B'Av. Everything is very, very different. And there's a minag of the Tunisian Jewish community that the women in the afternoon hours of Tishabov cleaned the houses. On a very very special basis, Now Tunisian women, if you know that, they clean the houses all the time. But on a on on, Motsi, on the afternoon of Tisha B'av, it's like a special mitzvah, and and uh, there were some rabbanim who frowned upon it because they said, one second, Tisha B'av is inappropriate, and other rabbanim said, no 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 no, they're doing this to prepare the house for Melach HaMashiach, and this is an expression of emunah and simcha. And that's tolerated in the afternoon hours of uh, Tisha B'av, and that leads into Tuba'am, and that leads, and that's why it's a Yom of Shituhim, because there's a future, and that leads into Nachamu, and that leads into Sostasis, which leads into Rosh Hashanah, Shabbat Shuvah, Yom Kippur, and Chag HaSukot. Okay. Shalom. I just actually finished learning a lot long short on your Okay. The question was really, you mentioned it, it's not just yoga. it's a company the short no, Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs>